Hello, thank you for tuning in to episode four of Innovation Activists, Designing Healthcare's Future. I'm Reed Omery, and today we're broadcasting again out of Nashville, Tennessee. Our special guest today, Dr. Alexander Norbash. Alex joins us from the University of California, San Diego, where he is the Associate Vice Chancellor for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. He is also Chair and Professor of the Department of Radiology. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. Thank you for your hospitality, Reed. Can we start with a question? What does your interest in diversity stem from? You know, I think um, many of us who are interested in diversity issues have a personal connection with this space. You can call it a subjective motivator, you can call it selfish, as you will. But in my particular case, my parents are immigrants. And I grew up in a small town in the Midwest. They moved to the U.S. from Iran indirectly. They first ended up in England, and then they ended up in the U.S. I ended up attending a prep school. And I think that's where I really started to realize that there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to make things better. And I could potentially participate in that because of my perspective. The Iranian hostage crisis took place when I was in high school. My first class of the day was an algebra class. And soon after the hostage crisis began, uh, a couple of the kids who were my classmates thought that it would be funny if they would write what day of the hostage crisis it was on the bulletin board in large block letters. So every morning I'd walk into algebra and in three foot tall letters I would see which day of the hostage crisis it was. And to compound that, the teacher in the class, whom I remember vividly, thought this was funny. And the students would say at the beginning of class, uh, we would like to make an announcement. This is day such and such of the hostage crisis. Mr. Norbash, as the representative of the Iranian government, what do you have to say? They, 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 it was, you were held accountable by these students? On a daily basis, at, at the first period of the day. And I would sheepishly say, I have nothing to add. And it continued. It was a daily occurrence. Now, I had an interest in math, and I thought at one point that I'd be a mathematician. Um, not that I was brilliantly gifted, but I just did better in that than I did in everything else. And maybe that's the reason that I'm not a mathematician, because I grew to dread that first period of the day and walking in and seeing that on the, on the, on the blackboard. And uh, they didn't give up. It continued throughout the entire year. And so I thought to myself, no one should feel this way. This isn't right. This is a form of bullying. It's affecting my ability to perform effectively. It's distracting the other students. It's mean-spirited. There's really nothing positive that's coming out of this. And then I realized that my perspective in that classroom was a relatively unique perspective because of who I was. And I started paying attention to all the unique perspectives that people around me possessed. And I realized how much each of us as individuals is taken for granted in our daily lives. And I realized that systems should appreciate our individual differences because those are positive attributes, not discriminators. They add value to the environment. And at the same time, I thought the teacher in the class, I expected more from that person. And so I realized that the contributions that we can make in establishing systems and processes that are positive, empowering, durable, 
and celebrate the individual. This, this is a space that's rich, it's meaningful, and in my opinion, it has been neglected. That was, I can only imagine, incredibly difficult, challenging. It made you feel uncomfortable, made you feel like an outsider. How did you invert that from a barrier, an obstacle, to something that you wanted to use to propel you into changing the world? Well, I think we're all wired differently. I mean, when you, when you look at it, there are individuals who are the victims of abuse and then become abusers themselves. At the same time, you'll find individuals who are the victims of abuse who break the chain and change the world because they realize how problematic it is and they feel empowered and they have a sense of optimism. So for whatever reason, either because of a consequence of the environment or genetics or upbringing, I think individuals who choose to improve systems and structures, they possess optimism. They understand that their abilities can contribute to a better future. Why that chemical equation takes place or how it does, I don't know. But I think those of us who are change-oriented, we're change-oriented because we see a brighter future and we possess optimism for whatever reason. So I think that experience was focused in the lens of inherent optimism that I must possess in some capacity and that we all can possess. And I think it's that optimism that took it and said, let's convert this into a positive opportunity. Let's use this to remember as a handhold a sense of righteous indignation and move forward. Now, there are a number of ways you could deal with something like that. You could say, oh, come on, grow a spine. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words just hurt my feelings. So what? They're writing a number on the chalkboard. Dismiss it and forget about it. And that may have been one approach. However, what I think has happened is my holding onto that sense of discomfort and realizing it has allowed me to do more good by trying to address diversity issues than simply saying, oh, you know what? Why should I care? Let them write that on the chalkboard, to heck with them. So I think it's a combination of optimism uh, that allows you to create a special mixture out of whatever you experience that motivates you in a positive direction. How do you define diversity? Based on that experience, um, my definition of diversity is relatively broad. And I, I think we're seeing a broadening definition for diversity in terms of diversity management, diversity science. Diversity, initially, we'd look at uh, religion, race, color, creed. Then we looked at gender orientation. We look at socioeconomic status. We look at mental health issues. There are a lot of different areas for diversity. And so diversity could be defined as what diversity looks like from the aggregation, from the majority's perspective. So the majority says, we are the majority. This is how we self-identify everything else adds diversity. Or from the individual perspective, anyone who feels different or marginalized or misunderstood because of a characteristic or a feature, I think that that's the true definition of diversity. And so the challenge is you're, we're not engineering systems that will, for want of a better term, be colorblind. And that's why inclusion as a word becomes so important. It's trying to make sure that every single individual feels that 
their perspective is meaningful, that their contributions matter, and that they are appreciated in a society and valued for who they are. Not because of how adaptable they are, how they can change, but intrinsically because of who they are. So diversity, the true definition in my opinion, has to be a very broad definition. And as an example, mental health is an area you don't hear much discussion about mental health as an indicator for diversity. But we know that 20% of American adults suffer from a diagnosable and treatable mental health disorder. But yet we don't think of that as one of the elements of diversity. And so if you have an organization that is inclusive, then you have to understand how are you going to treat individuals who want to take time off for mental health reasons in your organization? How are you going to take care of the bipolar individuals or the people who are depressed? Uh, and this becomes part and parcel of diversity work. It's not healthcare related, it's integrative. Why is diversity important in healthcare? Diversity is important in healthcare because healthcare has to undergo some dramatic changes. We don't consistently have metrics that measure the success of what we're doing. We don't have good outcomes consistently. We don't learn best practices from each other. The cost of healthcare is too high. When you look at the World Health Organization indices for the delivery of healthcare, our country as a whole is not particularly great. As entitled individuals, some of us have outstanding healthcare. But across the broad spectrum of individuals in the United States, we do not deliver excellent healthcare. There's a, a tremendous difference in the quality of care that we deliver. We need dramatic solutions. We need innovative solutions. We need to change what we're doing and how we're practicing. And that can't take place if we are all similar inside an echo chamber and trying to find solutions. We need innovation and we need creativity. And that cannot come from a single point perspective. We need safety for the conversations. We need dialogue to be able to exchange information with each other so that we can then innovate and arrive at novel solutions that will get us to the right destination. The same old solutions are not going to work in the future. Our problems are compounding, our costs are increasing, our population is aging. We need innovative solutions soon. We cannot do that without diversity. If I hear you correctly, you view diversity then as an important catalyst for creativity? I see it as an essential ingredient. I don't think with, without diversity, I don't believe you can have effective, durable, and adaptive solutions. How do healthcare organizations intentionally include a diverse group of individuals? How do they bring them to the table to have input to create the future? I think there are two essential elements. I believe that the leadership of the organization has to believe in this and be committed to it because lip service will not suffice. In addition to that, I believe they need to put a formal diversity management program in place. They need to identify diversity leaders. They need to put in a diversity organizational structure. They need a diversity budget. They need to start collecting metrics to see how they're doing in the diversity space. And then that organization has to be responsible for creating and sustaining diverse recruitment practices, as an example, and creating communities of diversity. So it has to be a structured approach, learning from best practices where others have done this. And it's my personal opinion that this is a germinal, it's a new area, it's a developing area. Quality management is probably 10 to 15 years old in terms of contemporaneous quality management that we've put into practice. Operations management is probably 20 to 25 years old. This is relatively new. 
we'll be in a better place in five or 10 years. But right now, we're still learning how to crawl and how to stand up. And so as we look around the country, we need to learn from best practices. And there are several notable best practices we can learn from. How do we embed diversity into our management processes, our daily practice of doing what we do, of having meetings, of forming committees? It's my opinion and my observation based on what I've seen that you get what you pay for. And so in some way, compensation structures and schemes, evaluation methods, everything has to include a diversity element or it'll only be receiving lip service and it can't gain traction. So at the core, as the organization looks at how it incorporates diversity management, it needs to understand that just as with operations management, quality management, there has to be an understanding of the compensation stream and how that is connected to either buying time or how it rewards individuals for proper behavior. Because after all, we're motivated by rewards and punishments and a sense of community. And sometimes you need the rewards and punishments to get you to a threshold level until eventually the community can carry the ball. Innovative healthcare systems, by definition, are helping advance the organization into a new area that generates impact in a more meaningful way. Those organizations will have competitive advantages compared with other organizations if they embed diversity into their practices. This sort of embedding, can it be taught? I believe it can be taught. Um, and I, can, I believe it can be taught because it, it can be method driven. And there is science that surrounds this. There are other areas that we've looked at in the past. Leadership as an example. There's a body of information in leadership science. Now, if you're approaching this area for the first time, you don't realize that, and you don't see that. But once you start to tap into the right information streams and sources, and you speak with the individuals in this space, you realize there's a tremendous amount of aggregated experience. A lot of knowledgeable people have applied method and process to derive an approach to how this can be taught. The same thing applies to quality improvement, operations management, and the same thing applies to diversity management. Diversity management has a body of science and literature and information and expertise behind it. It's not hocus pocus and it's not self-created. It is actually a body of knowledge that exists and can be investigated and can be explored. What can people do to promote diversity and inclusion in their own organizations if they feel that leadership isn't promoting it enough? I think everything starts with being informed and having a knowledge base. So you may be curious about this space as an individual. You might be wondering, gee, I wonder what this is all about. Then what you need to do is you need to go and you need to educate yourself about this. You need to read up on it. You need to find out who the regional leaders are. You need to understand the depth of this body of knowledge and then you have to become informed. And once you're informed more than the individuals around you, you're automatically the regional expert. And then you build on that. You assume greater responsibilities. You structure. You make connections with others who are outside of your immediate vicinity, but who can mentor you or guide you or be part of an aggregation group. So you have to do this intentionally. You have to state, you know what? I'm interested in this diversity space. Let me set aside a little bit of time. I want to set aside some time on a couple of Sundays this month to do some reading on it. 
And then well, I want to figure out, I want to watch a couple of webinars and I want to figure out what are people doing at other institutions that's gaining traction. And then I want to find out what other institutions in my area are doing. I want to find like-minded people. So just like anything else in life, if you have a structured approach to doing this, you will succeed. If you're doing it on a lark, and if you're not informing yourself, and if you're not learning what resources are available, you may not succeed. So be intentional about it, approach it with a process in mind, and you will succeed at elevating the work that's being done in this space in your environment. Do you see millennials as being more wired towards diversity? Millennials are remarkable. The millennials expect this at the ground level and they expect it in a very emotional way. So the millennials are the saving grace for us. If we don't solve it, they're going to solve it because for them, this is the foundation. This is the ground level. This is the minimum. They expect inclusion, equity, and diversity in every moment. And they are so richly interconnected and they are so wired that they see the value in diversity. They want to know what's happening in Madagascar and in France and in Eritrea at the same time. They want to know those perspectives. They want to drink up those visions. So the millennials are our saving grace. That is awesome. I, I love what you just said there about millennials. And I, I hope there are a lot of millennials who are listening to this podcast who can go out and help change the world around this very important issue. We have so much opportunity in healthcare to innovate by bringing people together who originally might have been considered outsiders. They can bring a fresh perspective and any organization should harness that power and embrace the differences because that ultimately will lead to success in the future. I fully agree. Thank you, Alex, for joining us today. Very much appreciate your wisdom. I've learned a ton. What one or two things might you leave our audience with as tangible to-dos? Thank you for asking that question, Reed, because based on our conversation, I think there are two natural and easy to-dos. The first is a reading assignment, and the second is a talking assignment. The reading assignment would be, I would hope that each of our listeners who are interested in this space will go online and pull two parts of Enduring Materials, either two articles or two webinars. And I'd like them to do this on two successive Sundays to give themselves time to think about it in between. And just read, listen, and think and understand this space. It could be in diversity in healthcare, diversity management, what is diversity. Just become a little bit more attuned to other educated opinions in this space. So that would be assignment number one. Read a little bit about it, but give yourself time to digest the concepts and ideas. Don't just do it as a one-time thing. So that's one assignment, that's a reading assignment. The second assignment is a talking assignment. Find somebody who is much younger and much more creative, a millennial, if you will, in your environment and in your practice, and ask them if they'd be willing to have a conversation with you. You would like to understand their perspective on diversity and how diversity could be augmented, accelerated, and implemented in the environment that you're in. So find a coworker of yours cross-generational divides if you need to and ask them that question and patiently listen to what they have to say before formulating any opinions. Thank you, Alex, for those wonderful two 
assignments. And I think this is something that the innovation activist community can work together on and share. I will post a few articles on Twitter that you recommend as an initial starting point. And I'd ask anyone else who has worthwhile or impactful articles to also share them on Twitter. Please join the conversation with me on Twitter at Reed Omery. Stay tuned for our next episode of Innovation Activists next month. Thank you for listening.